0: Uh, and 24. Um, uh, hopefully you guys had the opportunity to attend one of the Good Friday services in town this week. Um, there were a lot of good ones going on. I uh, went to see one in Florence, and uh, it was a community event. It was really nice. Um, we're going to, as we read this morning, we're going to start <clears throat> at the beginning of the story in regards to the the, the, the beginning of the of the, or the Let's see, I don't know how to exactly put this. The beginning of the beginning. How about that? And, and that's it's a cool reminder for me because um, today um, can be a day of new beginnings for you. As we remember the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and, and the new beginning and the new life that, that came um, to us through the resurrection and so I would encourage you to reflect and, and receive what God has for you as we remember the resurrection this morning. Um, I'm going to read and then I want to pray. But before we do that, if you guys will pray with me, uh, a couple that moved from our church a couple of years ago, me and Travis Heidel, they are in Montana now. They um, have a two-year-old little baby boy who has been in the Denver Children's Hospital and he's been diagnosed with a rare form of muscular cancer. And he's two years old. And he's been uh, released uh, locally, meaning he's no longer in Children's Hospital, but I spoke to the parents yesterday, and um, his, because of the rare form of the cancer that he has, he's going to have to have a year and a half of chemotherapy treatments, and it's, a, it's, it's, uh, it's treatable with the same measure as, as um, well, just put it this way, it's, it's, it's so rare that it's very hard to treat. So he's he's had his first uh, chemo treatment on Friday, he's responded well, but I told them this morning um, that we would pray together for him and for his healing and for their strength. So um, we have a Lord who has conquered death and heals, and so let's pray for a miracle in that family's life today. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we want to lift up Mia and Travis and Caden to you. And Lord, knowing that you are a God who has conquered death. You're a God who does miraculous work, supernatural things, God, that blow people's mind. And we pray and ask, Lord, that you would intervene now into Caden's life, into his body. And Lord, this rare cancer that the doctors <clears throat> can treat, but um, um, not, doesn't appear to be very successfully, Lord. We know that you're not restricted by these things. God, you formed um, Caden while he was still in his mother's womb. You know every hair upon his head. You know the construct and makeup of his cells and, and even of these these unwanted and dangerous cancer cells that are in his body. And so, Lord, we lift up our brother and sister to you and their little baby Caden and pray, God, for a supernatural healing. And we pray, God, that you would give me and Travis faith Um, encourage them, strengthen them. And God, as they cling to you, may they cling to one another through this difficult time. And may we as a fellowship love them and lift them up. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 23, um, verses 26, and then we'll, starting in verse 26, and we're gonna read all the way through chapter 24 to verse 12. And so we pick up with Jesus being, uh, on, on the road to Calvary, to Golgotha, where he will be crucified. And it says, Now as they led him away, in verse 26, they laid hold of a certain man named Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and, the, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to, to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to that place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left hand. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they even divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. He is the Christ, the chosen of God. Soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, Saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? Verse 41, and indeed, and we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing, nothing wrong. Then he said to, to Jesus, Lord, remember. Excuse me, when you come into your remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, "Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." Now it was about the sixth sixth hour, and and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud when he had cried out with a loud voice, he said, "Father, into your hands." I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, "Certainly this was a righteous man." And the whole crowd who came together that came together to that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all of his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now. Verse 34, verse 50, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and a just man, and he had not consented to their decisions indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after him, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. But now, on verse 1 of 24, on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and then on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle talk, like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter, he arose and he ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. And Lord, we come to you reading this historical account of these events that took place that mean so much to our lives today. And we consider the fact and, 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 and acknowledge the fact that you're alive and Lord, we marvel in that all of these years later still. The whole world does. Some marvel to unbelief and others marvel to belief, Lord. The truth stands. And I pray, God, that you would reaffirm the truth of your resurrection and the fact that you're alive again to our hearts this morning and what that truly means for us, God. Shore up that truth with the assurances of the work that you've done for us leads us to this place, God, where we're no longer condemned, where we are forgiven of our sins where we can cry out to you as Lord and Savior, because you've made peace between us and the Father, and you have, have given us this gift of eternal life. And I pray for anyone here this morning that's doubting these truths, that has not yet put their lives in your hand, uh, that have been in this place of unbelief. I pray, Lord, that they would come to that. And for those, Lord, who, who, um, who, who profess to believe in the resurrection, but yet, are living their, their lives in a way that seems right to them, I pray, God, that they would see that that's not enough. I pray, Lord, that they would see that, um, that you're the risen Lord to whom every person will give an account. And I pray, Lord, that if someone's in that place today where they, they acknowledge you and the resurrection but are, are the, the, the Lord of their own life, I pray, Lord, that they would repent. And they would trust in you again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And he's alive. And the Bible tells us that as he is alive, that he is living forevermore, seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. Meaning when we sin and the enemy goes, hey, did you see what Sean did today? Jesus goes, I got it covered. I paid for that. He lives as my intercessor. He lives as your intercessor and therefore there is no longer condemnation for us because of the sacrifice and the work that Jesus did. And we who believe in in the resurrected Son of God, we rejoice in this because we know that through Christ's death and resurrection that our sins have been forgiven and that we've been given this gift of eternal life. Sadly, it's not hard to see, but the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we believe in is mocked and attacked by those who oppose God and choose to do things their own way. And this morning, what happened this morning in um, Sri Lanka, I don't know if you guys seen that, the terrorist attacks against the churches there and over 200 Christian believers dead on Easter morning, is evidence and testimony to the fact that, that, that Satan and many in this world hate And despise what we believe in. And as the world continues to turn their back on God and His Son, Jesus, there is this growing growing hatred against those of us who believe. But Jesus had told His disciples, and, and He would want us to remember today, that in these last days, before His return, it's near. It's coming back. But in these last days... That he told us that the enemies of, of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of that good news message of salvation by grace through faith, that that the enemies would increase, that attacks would increase, and the very foundations of our faith would try to be undermined by what these people do and say. Yet even as we see this hatred um, towards us grow, you know what? We don't have to fear. We don't fear these attacks, and there's no reason for us to doubt our faith because the death and resurrection of Jesus, which our, our faith and hope stands on, is real. And my desire for you this morning, for us this morning, is to have further evidence to support the fact that our faith, our faith is real. And we can know the truth about Jesus' death and resurrection by, by, by historical evidences that have been documented throughout history in secular writings, but also because of the eyewitnesses' accounts of, of people who, have, who bore testimony to the things that they saw by which is handed down to us to build our faith. And in light of this, there are, there are four thoughts this morning, if you're taking notes. Four thoughts I wish to share with you this morning that I pray will give us the confidence and the courage to keep on living our lives as followers of Jesus, or perhaps to spur you to come back to that place where you go, I'm going to live my life as a follower of Jesus, submitting to Him as Lord. The first thing I want to point out is that in addition to the Bible, there are, like I said, many other historical writings that document the death and resurrection of Jesus. This account that I read to you from the the beginning to not the end, but again, the beginning of life for us. It's, I, I read the whole thing because it's a historical account. And the Bible is a, is a book of history that, ex, that, that records not only um, religiously significant events, but historical facts about people and places and, 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 and events that, that are, are, are significant to the whole world. And when we look at these other historical writings, these documents, they tell us these things that complement exactly what we read here. No contradiction. For example, they tell us historical writings, many, many of them, how Jesus was arrested by an order of the high priest. In other words, the Jews themselves arrested Jesus. The Romans didn't do it for insurrection. Remember three days previous to this, death of Christ on the cross, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, as we remembered last week, Palm Sunday, and the the people proclaimed him to be their king, but the Romans didn't come and get him. History tells us that. It was the Jewish high priest who had Jesus arrested under the veil of darkness. History records this. Then he was turned over Historically, account historical town tells that he was turned over to the Roman authorities and he was tried by a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, a real person. Pontius Pilate was the fifth, gov- fifth Roman governor over the Judean province, And historically, it tells us that he, he ruled over the Judean province from 26 AD to 36 AD. And even though Pilate found Jesus to be without fault... Secular writings document this, not just the Bible. Remember, Pilate, according to scriptures, tells us that he stood before the religious leaders and said, I find no fault in this man worthy of death. He's innocent. And history says that. It says that Pontius Pilate, who tried him, found him to be without fault, yet he was beaten. Historical truth, sentenced to death by the Roman authorities, Historical truth in order to appease the Jewish leaders who insisted that Jesus be put to death for claiming to be the Son of God. Historical truth. That's why Pilate had that inscription put over his head on the cross. It was what he was condemned for. What he was was put to death for. Now, one of the ancient secular writings, I just don't want you to take my word for it. One of these, I'm going to give you some evidence, some proofs this morning. It increases my faith, it builds my faith, and it gives me courage to stand up and to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ when it's hard. But one of the secular writings that I'm talking about that documents some of these facts is a, is a, a collection of 16 books. There's, they're, they're ancient antiquities. They're historical books, um, uh, 16 of them, uh, books of history that record specifically the history of the Roman Empire from 14 A.D. to 68 A.D., and it's called the Annuals. And the annuals were written in 115 A.D. by a Roman historian by the name of Titius. And in book 15 of this 16-volume set, chapter 44, Titius documented how the Roman emperor Nero, which was a little later than Jesus' time, but Nero, evil, evil Caesar over Rome, He hated the Christians. And in in Nero, he sought to blame the Christians in Rome, Titius writes, he says, for the six-day fire that destroyed much of Rome in 64 AD. Also a historical fact. And in that passage, in this passage, what's on the board there, Titius wrote, and he he said, he said, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished Christians as they were, quote-unquote, popular, called their originator, Christ. He had been executed in the Tiberius region By the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Another historical mention like this one is found in an ancient letter written in 73 AD by a Stoic philosopher uh, named Marabara Seraphim. He was from the Roman province of Syria. And in this letter, which he writes, which by the way currently resides in the National Library of the United Kingdom, you can go and see it for yourself. In that letter, it accounts the historical unjust treatment of three wise men as as marabar seraphim uh, accounts it he's speaking about injustices that were brought forth by people who were a blessing or a benefit to the world again from a secular point of view it was actually a letter he wrote to his son one of these people that he accounts one of these three wise men was the murder of socrates an injustice killed by his own people The burning of the Greek philosopher uh, 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 Pythagoras, also killed by his own people. And lastly, he mentions the execution of Jesus and calls him the quote-unquote the wise king of the Jews who was also, he said, killed by his own people. And he speaks about this injustice and he also brings God into the equation and, and, and basically says that God had his way with these people because they killed these unjust wise men, or these just wise men, pardon me. But in addition to these two ancient writings, there are also the mentions of Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion and, and resurrection in other, um, uh, put it this way, uh, m- uh, reported resurrection as as. To be completely honest, as they as they document it as a fact of history. But, but in, for example, uh, in the writings of Lucian, if you heard of Lucian, he's a Greek satirist. He mentions these things. Thalius, a Samaritan-born historian, Pliny the Younger, who was an imperial Roman governor in Bithany, he writes, and we have historical evidences and ancient documents. That 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 he wrote that speaks of these things. Also by Flagen or Phlegian, uh, who is a Greek historian, who who specifically makes a comment, a direct reference to the to the crucifixion, and speaks about that at that time there was this darkness that came upon the land, even though it was not, um, uh, it was there was no so, no no eclipse at that time. That a darkness came upon the land. Also that there was a great earthquake. And we know that at that time of that earthquake, Scripture tells us is when the veil of separation was torn in half there in the temple. Furthermore, there's a Jewish historian, a secular Jewish historian who had been hired by the Roman government to record the the events that took place with the Hebrew people while they were under Roman rule. His name was Flavius Josephus. You've heard of him. He's written many... Um, uh, historical books, and one that I'm referring to is called the *Antiquities of the Jews*. And Flavius Josephus, speaking of Jesus's death and resurrection, wrote, "He said, at this time there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good. He was known to be a virtuous man, and many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be death, to Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die." But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship, which is, which is a huge testimony within itself, guys. Not only that Flavius Josephus documents, but just in our own rationale that when the leader dies, these people, these disciples, they grow. They don't shrink and wither away. And the movement that was left behind went to all the ends of the earth. And he said this, he said, they reported that he had appeared to him three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. And we know the disciples testified to this truth, having seen Christ with their own eyes. Accordingly, Josephus says, he was perhaps, I wish that Josephus didn't say that word perhaps for his own sake. He says, accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And I point these things out this morning in order to illustrate to you how Jesus of Nazareth he is undeniably and undeni- undeniably and, and, and undoubtedly a real person of history whose life, death on the cross, and quote unquote reported resurrection has been well documented by many, many, many ancient historians as real events. In light of this, there is a second thing, I think, for us to consider, and it's the fact that Jesus' disciples believed and reported that their Savior, that Jesus, had risen from the dead. And all of them testified that He appeared to them after His resurrection. And you may think, what that is not such a big deal, right? Many people would have done that in that situation even if they hadn't seen, you would think, as a devout follower of Christ, right? And so it may not seem like a significant thing since really anyone can make a claim and anyone can make a claim and testify to seeing something amazing and supernatural. It still happens today. But when we consider the fact, guys, that Jesus' disciples claimed to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection, and that they did not deny or recount their testimonies, even though they suffered much persecution and were even put to death for these testimonies, that's where we begin to see the significance of this statement. You see, historically we know, you can do the research too, but historically we know that 14 of these eyewitnesses were put to death because simply and specifically for professing Jesus' resurrection to be true. They were put to death for that. they would not recount. They would not retract their testimony and this is even more significant because these fourteen eyewitnesses, what we see is that they 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 um just did not simply willingly die for something that they believed in, they willingly died for something that they said was true, something that they had claimed to have seen with their own eyes. And this is important for us to take notice of because even though many people will die for something that they believe in, no person in their right mind would give up their life for a story that they had made up or for something that they knew was not true. Remember, the disciples saw Jesus crucified. They saw him buried. And and then they testified to seeing him being risen back to life three days later. And they did not deny these things even though they were persecuted to death. I have an example for you to further illustrate this point. You guys know who Charles Coulson is? How about Watergate? Yeah? Some, Some of us who are older remember what Watergate was all about. Charles Colson was, was one of the corrupt men within the Nixon administration who went to prison because of the Watergate cover-up or attempted cover-up, which happened in 1972. Charles Colson, who later became a believer in prison because he did prison time for this, this, this cover up and these crimes that took place, he speaks really about this very same principle. What we're talking about is in regards to an eyewitness or someone making a, 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 a putting forth a, 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 a something that wasn't true, and and he speaks from his own personal experience. and And in doing so, Colson points out that that with the threat of torture, think about it. With the threat of torture and with the threat of death hanging over the heads of the disciples, no lie, he says, no lie or conspiracy could stand. Especially when recanting, meaning going back on what you said really happened, meant your freedom and your escape from death. So with that thought, Charles Colson wrote a book called Loving God, and in that book he says this, quote, he says, take it from me, one who was inside the Watergate web looking out, who saw firsthand how vulnerable a cover-up is. He said, nothing less than a witness as awesome as the resurrected Christ, in other words, seeing Jesus alive in the flesh after he was dead, nothing as awesome as that could have caused those men to maintain their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and Lord, with their dying whisper. Now the third thing for us to consider which supports a belief in Jesus' death and resurrection is the conversion of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And I'm here to tell you as we consider Saul who became Apostle Paul and his own testimony of how he came to believe in his encounter with the risen Savior, Our testimonies have the same power today to build evidence and confidence in other people's lives where we say, I was once like this, but now I'm something new. Especially those who knew us before. It wasn't too long ago that uh, an old high school friend of my sister's from the Tri-Cities went to work at the, the mustard depot there in Pueblo, and he walked into this church and about fell over when he saw me as the pastor preaching in the pulpit. And, and it was one of those cool things where he knew what I was like and then had lost touch and then saw me here. He, he, he had to take many looks to, to see for sure. But, but, but the same is true for the Paul or Saul of Tarsus. Let me explain. You see, even though many people have come to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, Saul's conversion is significant and gives us evidence to the resurrection because um, Saul, who later became known as Paul, we know that he was an open enemy of Jesus. He, by his own admission, hated Christians. He, by his own admission, arrested them, persecuted them, and had them put to death. Those who would profess to have believed in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. And Saul did this because he believed these disciples of Jesus. he, He believed that they were a threat to his faith of Judaism, which he loved. And Paul was a zealot for Judaism. A Jew of Jew, he says. Yet, in spite of all of his zeal for Judaism, Saul, who, who we know became Paul, he came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything that he stood against, once Jesus had appeared to him in the flesh there on the, on the road to Damascus, when Paul had in his hand more warrants, if you will, for the arrest and condemnation of Christian believers. And Saul, who radically opposed those who were followers of Jesus, was converted. He believed, and in doing so, he abandoned Judaism. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he devoted the rest of his life to telling others about the salvation, the forgiveness, and the eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. Guys, furthermore, we know that Paul, like many of the apostles, many of the disciples that came before him, is that they did this he did this, Paul did this and, and held true to this testimony that he gave forth, as he lived it out, not only in his life, but with the words that he speak, he spoke, he did it while suffering much persecution, and even though he was put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. And I say to you this morning, this is also a compelling testimony that cannot be ignored each one of us may be confronted with these things in our hearts and in our minds and be forced or challenged to make a decision with what we will do with this information. And the last point I think for us to consider, this last point of consideration, is this simple fact. Is the simple fact that after Jesus' crucifixion, you know what it tells us here? Is the tomb was found to be empty. And that might be something that we just kind of read and take in and kind of dismiss, but if the tomb had not been empty there would be no resurrection. And you know what? And this fact, this empty tomb with this, with this, 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 put it this way: even Jesus' enemies, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, they admitted to this fact. They admitted to the fact that the tomb was empty. And they admitted to the fact that it had been sealed with a large stone and guarded by Roman soldiers, and yet it was still found to be empty. And this truth gives us another reason to believe today. The point is, is if the body of Jesus was ever found, right? If the body of Jesus was ever found, then the resurrection would be proven to be a hoax. Or at least a deception, But the fact that Jesus' body has never been found 2,000 years later and it still has not been found, it provides us further evidence to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven just like the Bible teaches us. But what do we do with all this? What do we do with all these evidences, these truths, these proofs? You guys, here's the reason why. Because when we consider the resurrection, I think that it's safe to say that the empty tomb was not even what Jesus' disciples were expecting to find. The Bible even tells us that. Even though their discipleship did not diminish in the weeks and the months and the years to come, as they followed wholeheartedly after their risen Lord, At this moment, at this time, the empty tomb was not something that the disciples were even expecting to find. In fact, in Luke 24, verse 11, it says, it tells us that they did not believe the report of one of their own. Mary Magdalene and the other women who were there at the empty tomb when they saw the the, the two angels who told them that Jesus had risen and they came back to report this. And they doubted Mary even though Jesus had told them. They doubted Mary and her report even though Jesus had told them that he would be crucified and then rise back to life three days later. Nevertheless, we know that they would all come to believe as Jesus, when and how? When Jesus appeared to them. When he said, look, I'm alive. Remember, even Thomas, who doubted, even after the others went and saw him at the tomb, Thomas said, no, I need to see with my own eyes, and I need to touch the holes. And Jesus revealed himself to Thomas and others in many different places and at many different times. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrated openly, without a doubt, that by his death and resurrection, he defeated sin and conquered death just like he had promised. And so in light of this, in light of this, I would like to answer the question. You may, you may be there in your own spot and go, why? Why? Why is it important for us to know and believe that Jesus is alive. Why is that so significant? Why is it so important? And I'm here to tell you this morning that the, that, that the most important for us most important reason for us to know, the most important reason for us to not only know here, but to believe here as we take what we have here and let it transcend into our heart in a real life that's lived up, lived outwardly under the, 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 the premise or the, the declaration that, that I'm, gonna, I'm gonna serve and follow my Lord and Savior is, is it's so important for us to know and believe that Jesus is alive because our Christian faith However small it is at times, or however great it is at times, our Christian faith means nothing if Jesus did not rise from the grave. Nothing. See, Paul wrote about this to the, to the Corinthian church, and he said in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, listen, it says, he said, since, since our message is that Christ has been raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If that is true, it means that Christ was not raised and if Christ has not been raised from death then we have nothing to preach and you have nothing to believe. More than that, we are showing to be lying about God because we said that he raised God raised Christ from death. But if, but if it is true, if it is true that the dead are not raised, then, then he did not raise Christ. For if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then, here's the conclusion, Paul says, then our faith is a delusion. And you are still, we are still lost in our sins. And if our hope in Christ is good for this life only and no more than we are of all men most pitiable. You see, Paul's point is that this, is that our faith stands upon the foundational truth that Jesus has risen from the grave and is alive. What does that mean? What does that mean in regards to our faith? And this is what it means. It means that that the forgiveness of our sins freedom from the bondage of sin, our own victory over death, and the hope of our own future resurrection into eternal life all depends upon the resurrection. And these promises that we hang our hat on, figuratively speaking, to today, these promises mean absolutely nothing if Jesus did not raise from the grave. And if we don't don't believe in the resurrection, then we have no reason to have faith in these promises that Jesus offers we should put our faith in something else if the resurrection is not true. Furthermore, the teaching and belief in the resurrection, I'm here to tell you, this fact alone, this particular truth that our faith rests upon alone distinguishes Christianity from any other religion that's out there. You name it. It makes our faith unique. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the teaching of Jesus dying for the payment and forgiveness of our sins, guys, it can't be apart from the message of the resurrection because it's the resurrection that gives us the assurance of our salvation. It gives us this guarantee of our own future resurrection once this life is over. That's why we can sit here today and stare death in the face and go, I don't want to go through the process of death, but I'm not afraid to die because I know I'm going to live on in a place better than this. And that freaks the world out, by the way. See, the Apostle Paul, he also wrote about this in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, continuing on in verse 20, and he said this. He said, but the truth is, listen, but the truth is, Christ has been raised from death as a guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by the means of a man, in the same way the, the, the rising from death comes up by the means of a man. For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, and all people will die. We do die. He says in the same way all, listen there, All will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. The Bible says he's the first fruits of many that are to come. So the resurrection of Jesus is the the foundation to our faith. But listen, our faith is what gives us hope. You see, people in this world, they put their faith in all kinds of things. And and, and consequently, that faith that they take and they place into the things of this life, which are temporal, they give them this false hope. We don't have a false hope. But just like everybody else in the world, they exercise faith in some matter. Faith takes you to a place of hope. And in our sense, in in our case, to a hope that does not fade away. You see, before I gave my life to Christ, the faith that I placed often was in myself or in other people around me or in beliefs of this world. And what I found to be true is that faith led me to a place of false hope and ultimately every single time to a place of hopelessness. And so we need to understand the, 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 the dynamics that's going on here in regards to the resurrection because faith, which is... is, 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 is um, foundational to the resurrection it ultimately gives us hope and that's why it's important for us to believe for hope for the sake of hope and hope is the second reason for why it's important to know and believe that Jesus is risen and is alive why because this the resurrection is a display the resurrection is a display by God God saying look at what I'm doing here It's a display before all of us to examine and to acknowledge. What is it a display of? It's a display of the power that Jesus has over sin and death. It's this aspect of our Christian faith that we put our hope in, and Paul rightly said that if Jesus has not risen from the grave, then we have no hope. And Paul rightly says this because Because he knows that that if our faith is not true, then the hope that we have would not be true or it would lead us to the place of hopelessness because ultimately we would be lost to our sins and condemned to an eternal death without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But since Jesus is alive, we have hope. We have hope in the power that he possesses, the demonstrated power, the displayed power that he possesses to save us from death, and hope in his authority to forgive us of our sins. What an awesome, wonderful gift that is. Jesus not only said that he had the power and authority over death and to forgive our sins, he proved it to us by rising from the grave. And, 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 And this, because Jesus' power over death and his authority to forgive our sins is proven through the resurrection, we have hope. Let me put it that way. And in light of this, we must remember that when Jesus walked this earth, he made claims. The most significant claim that he made that that either... um, gives us encouragement today in our faith and our hope or, or could totally discourage us. If it's not true, the most significant claim that he made was the claim to be the Son of God. Because in that claim, over and over again, claiming to be the Son of God, he claimed to have the power and the authority of God. And as a result, there were many people you guys know it. We've read the gospel accounts. There were many people, these Pharisees and, and others like them, those religious leaders that doubted this. When, when Christ would example this, when he would, he would say, I have the power to forgive sins or the power to heal, many of these people would, would, when he claimed to be equal with God, they would challenge these claims saying, prove it to us. Prove it to us. Yet Jesus only ever always said that their proof for that one particular claim that Jesus made would be his resurrection. For example, in John chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus, it tells us this, it said, the Jewish authority, starting in verse 18, they replied with a question saying, what sign can you give us to show us that you have the authority to do this? And Jesus answered, he said, you know, tear down this temple and in three days I will build it again. But the temple, it says there, is that the temple that Jesus was speaking about was his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word in which Jesus had said. The proof would be his resurrection. You see, the point is, is the hope that our sins have been forgiven The hope that our sins have been forgiven is proven by the resurrection of Jesus. Faith and hope. Equally, our hope that we will not remain forever in a grave once we die is also proven and guaranteed by the resurrection. And that's such an important thing because there are many, many religions out there that say when you die, you go into the ground and that's it. That's not hope. There's no hope in that. And Jesus said that's not how it is and I'll prove it to you by my own resurrection that I'll be the first fruits of many to come and those who will come after me in this same way will be those who put their faith in me and in my resurrection. You see Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5, it speaks of this hope of this proof, of this guarantee. And it says, Peter wrote, and he said, Blessed be the God and our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, birthed us again, literally, begotten us again to a living hope. And we, that, just that implication alone, that statement alone, implies that, that we had some other kind of hope prior to this birth. It wasn't a living hope. And you remember, I remember what that was like when you were let down over and over and the hopelessness came in over and over and over again. He says, not anymore, because God, through His Son Jesus, He's begotten us to a different hope, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The proof to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. I like reservations. Why? Because I like to go out to eat to nice restaurants. And you can't get into a nice restaurant without a reservation. This is the best reservation that's ever been made on our behalf, or that you'll ever make. Think about it. Jesus is called ahead to God the Father as he ascended up there, and he said, he said Sean has a reservation up here. A reservation in heaven for me, for you, for those who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, revealed to be, ready to be revealed in, in, the, in, in the last time. When you breathe your last breath, when your heart beats that last beat here on this earth, because of the resurrection, God says it's not over. It's just beginning. The best is yet to come. A reservation, by the way, the Bible tells us, at the banquet table of the Lamb of God, where we'll be seated together and we'll enjoy a feast with the resurrected King. So, for those of us who put our faith and hope in Jesus, for those of us who have put our faith and our hope in Jesus, believing that he has died, believing that he has risen from the grave, Guys, we know this, know this, that, when, that when, when your soul, when our soul, when my soul is separated from our body, it'll go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Instantly. Instantly. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and in the presence of the Lord, the Bible tells us that our soul, our being, who we are, these eternal creatures that have had God breathing life into us, waits there with the Lord until His second coming, at which time the Bible says our physical bodies will come up out of the ground through a second resurrection, and it will be a body that will be transformed into an incorruptible body, an incorruptible body for an incorrupted soul and reunited. This is our hope. And it's ensured and guaranteed by Jesus' own resurrection. This is why it's important to believe, to know Consequently, for the sake of hope, it's important to know and believe that Jesus is risen from the grave and is alive today. For the sake of hope, but as we wrap it up this morning, there's a final important reason. There is a final important reason for why we should know and believe that Jesus is risen. A final important reason for why we should know and believe. You know that word believe real quick? It has very great significance. And this is one of the things that I I really want you to grasp a hold of. When we believe in something, we put our faith and trust in it. We rely upon, cling to, trust in it. You know, this old adage, you know, you won't sit in a chair that you don't believe will hold you up. And if if you're not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life right now, you can't really say you believe in him. You may in your head even acknowledge some of these things that I'm talking to be about to be true, but true belief comes, upon, comes through dependency and through obedience. And that's why we say Jesus is not only our Lord, we say he's our Savior, our Savior and our Lord. And when we recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we say, I'm no longer living my life according to my ways, but according to your ways. And so when I talk about believing in the resurrection and the reasons for why this is what it comes to, it's just not a knowledge of these things. It's letting that knowledge come into your heart and going, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to forsake my own ways to follow after God's ways because I believe in Him and what He says and what He's telling me to do. (coughs) And therefore I say He's my Lord. And And so a last important reason for why we should know and believe entrusting our lives to Jesus, believing that he has risen from the grave and alive is because the resurrection is a demonstration of God's love for us. Faith, hope, and love. You see, and if Jesus had never shown himself to be alive to his disciples, excuse me, if Jesus had never shown himself to be alive, his disciples would have never known for sure if Jesus had been raised back to life. They were in a place of doubt, and many of them doubted, it says, even after they saw the empty tomb. But that doubt was removed when they, what? when they saw Jesus to be alive. Therefore, guys, think about this. An empty tomb without a living Jesus, it ultimately provides no hope as it would create this place for doubt. But Jesus did show himself to be alive. First to his disciples then it says to many others. And even in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, it says to a crowd of 500 who were gathered together at one time. And you know what? Then we, na- we need to ask why. Why would he do this? And I say to you this morning that Jesus did this because of his love for his disciples, not wanting them to remain in the place of doubt, to have the assurance of all the promises that were laid before them so that they could go forth and live their lives in submission to his commands, to walk in his ways, to follow his examples. And he did so because of his love, of his love for them and of his love for us. And the fact that Jesus showed himself to be alive is first and foremost a demonstration of God's love. Guys, because it's our proof, it's our proof that by Jesus' sacrificial death, it's our proof that peace was made between us and God. You see, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I was taught about Jesus, God, the Bible. I was not taught the gospel message. At least I wasn't there. And what I truly believed and what I knew in my heart is that that that, that I was condemned because of my sins. I had no doubt. And I knew that that I was at enmity with God and what I deserved because of that. And that's a fearful place to be in. not at peace with God. But let me tell you, the fact that Jesus showed himself to be alive is first and foremost a demonstration of God's love because it's our proof that by Jesus' sacrificial death that peace has been made between God and us. There is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the fact that Jesus showed us Himself to be alive is proof of this. In Romans chapter five, verse one, says this: "It says we have peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ." And in the Old Testament, listen, we're told that under the Mosaic Covenant, under the Old Law, the Old Covenant, that the High Priest, the Jewish High Priest, one day a year was required on the Day of Atonement to take the lamb, the blood of the sacrificed lamb, right? the one that was sacrificed for the sins of the nation and he was to take that blood he was to prepare himself and he was to take that blood and he was to go past that veil of separation the veil the very same veil that was torn in half on the day when Christ was sacrificed on the cross for our sins and by the way it was done that it was it was torn because god as it was torn from the top to the bottom god was saying that the sacrifice has been made Peace has been established, and we have now this access into the presence of God. But the priest was to go past this veil of separation one time a year, only one time a year, with the blood, never without the blood, only through preparation and doing so as well. Washings and and sanctifying himself. And he would go into this place that was called the holy of the most holies, with the blood of the Lamb, which had been sacrificed for the sins of the people. And while in this holy place, the priest would take the blood and he would sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant there at the mercy seat. Blood upon the Ark at the mercy seat as an offering for the sins of the nation. But listen, if the high priest had not prepared himself Just as God had commanded, if the priest did not take the blood of the sacrificed lamb, if the lamb that was used was not without spot or blemish, then the sin offering would not be accepted. And if the priest failed in any of these things, we're told in Scripture that there in the very presence of God, he would be struck down and he would die. And you know what that means? He didn't come out on the other side of the veil. Alive. And if the priest did not come out alive, the people never knew for sure if their sins had been forgiven and if they were then in a right spot with God. (laughs) But now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, we've been given a new covenant, the Bible says covenant of grace founded in his blood Through the faith, and as a result, through our faith, and as a result, the Bible tells us that we now have also a high priest who has offered up his own body and his own blood as a sacrificial offering for the payment of our sins, and the fact that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, rose again from the grave, walked upon the earth showing himself to be alive, reveals to us, gives us proof that the sacrificial offering of his life, which was freely offered up by him for us, was accepted by God. In other words, our high priest came out alive and he proved that our sins have been forgiven. And as a result, we who are no longer condemned can come boldly into the presence of God and freely receive all of God's love through his mercy as God pours out his grace and his mercy upon our lives. In the resurrection account found here in Luke chapter 24, verse 5, if you look at it, you see there that when the two angels appeared to to these women, to Mary at the empty tomb, they asked him these question, why do you seek the resurrected Jesus among the dead? If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to end with this. Sadly, many people today, I'm here to tell you, they're still seeking the resurrected Jesus among the dead. And perhaps you're living your life right now as if Jesus is dead and that he's not alive. They say, these people, they say, oh, Jesus was a great example. I'm sure you've heard it. They say, oh, he was a good teacher. They even say, oh, Jesus was a good man. They admire his teachings, but yet they treat, treat him as though he is dead. And they dismiss the resurrection in which we believe in and put our faith in today. And they refuse to believe in their hearts And they refuse to give their lives to Jesus to live in such a way of submission and obedience to the risen Lord, listen, to whom they, the Bible says, to whom we all, the Bible says, will one day give an account. In light of this, I want to encourage you to not dismiss the resurrection of Jesus simply because you're unwilling to submit your life to him. Simply because you're unwilling to live for him. Jesus told us, Remember in John chapter five verse twenty nine, <clears throat> he said just like he was going to raise again from the dead, he said so too will every person be resurrected. Here's the key: he says some to a resurrection of eternal life, and others to a resurrection of eternal death, to condemnation, to a, to to uh, which leads to eternal death. So it's important to know, guys. It's important to know and to believe that Jesus has risen from the grave. And alive and is alive today because, listen, a decision to believe or a decision to not believe by the way you live your life and the words that you profess, a decision to believe or a decision to not believe in Jesus is the risen Lord, listen, it'll determine, it is going to determine to what reservation you're going to go to. It's going to determine to what resurrection you will be raised to when this life is over, when you breathe your last breath, when your heart beats that last beat. And God who loves you, God who loves us, desires for us to be saved from the eternal death and to receive his gift of eternal life. And the Bible tells us, listen, it's, it's all-inclusive. The Bible tells us that whosoever will confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, they will be saved. And if this is you this morning, I want to lead you, I want to lead all of us in just a simple prayer as a profession of faith, as, a, as, a, as an acceptance, or as in a re, even a recommitment um, uh, to the fact that Jesus is our Lord. And He is our Savior. Let's pray. God, we come to You as a church congregation. We come to You perhaps as those who have had doubts. And maybe even all of our questions still aren't answered, Lord. But we know in our heart that You are real and that You're alive. And we need to do something about that. We have to respond. And I pray, God, for anyone here who has been um, not right with You, at enmity with You. I pray, God, that, that they would see that, that through their faith, which leads to hope and ultimately to your love and eternal life, is something that they can grab a hold of today if they just accept you as their Savior, as their Lord. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you to pray this prayer out loud with me. Or as I pray it out loud, you can pray it to yourself. And for those of us who are believers in these areas of our lives that need to be recommitted, where there needs to be revival in our own heart, may we even pray this in our hearts today as well. So Father God, we profess and confess that Jesus is your son who died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, for my sins. And we believe that, God, you rose your son Jesus from the grave Three days after, he was crucified on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and we confess and believe and receive the fact that he's alive today. So Father, we say, I say I'm a sinner. We say, Lord, I say, please forgive me of my sins. And I ask God that you would give me, us, an awesome relationship with you, the guarantee of eternal life with you. And once again, Lord, we surrender our lives to you, as Lord and as Savior. Amen. Will you guys stand. Will we sing.